0: nursing home visitation guidelines a conversation with patty austin so on today's webinar um on today's episode we're talking with patty austin from our quality insights team patty austin is a quality improvement specialist at quality insights she's been working in the skilled nursing arena for the past 29 years and after starting her career as a nursing assistant and leaving the front lines as a nursing director the variety of perspectives that, she, that Patty has enables her to see the big picture, which helps nursing facilities create lasting change within their communities. Patty's been with Quality Insights since 2016 and considers it a privilege to be able to interact with so many different facilities on a variety of topics each day. So welcome Patty, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the latest visitation guidelines for nursing homes amid the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Thanks, Mitzi. And hi, everybody. Thanks for taking a couple of minutes out of what I know is another crazy day for y'all. I have spent the last many months talking with many of our PA facilities about the recent spike in COVID outbreaks and where all of you feel that the root cause of those outbreaks might lie. Over the last several months, most of the calls that I've had speak to open visitation as a possible contributing factor to the outbreaks. And we're we're all thankful that our residents have regained the basic human right of contact with others. We now have new challenges to overcome related to those open visitation regulations. So I'm happy to spend a couple of minutes today talking about visitation and what the current expectations are. All right, great.
0: Um, Patty, we know that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services released guidance in November of 2021 regarding visitation in nursing homes. A couple of weeks ago, CMS provided some clarification on those guidelines. So before we get into the details about the guidelines, can you give us a little bit of background about that original guidance and why CMS is providing clarification now?
1: Absolutely, Mitzi. It has been a long and winding road since the original guidance was released. We've kind of run the gambit from allowing no visitors at all for anything other than compassionate care to now being pretty fully open for visitors. And without getting too bogged down in regulations and statistics, I think several things have moved us from where we were a year and a half ago to where we find ourselves now the unknown nature of what we were dealing with in the beginning of the pandemic led to the need for us to be extra cautious with the health of our residents and we had to close to visitors. In an effort to keep our residents safe, we found that we created a whole different set of obstacles to overcome. We began to see the negative impact that social isolation and the lack of intimate personal contact with loved ones was having on our residents and recognized that we needed to address that area of concern as well. Thankfully, the approval and emergency authorization for vaccines and our requirement to educate on the risks and benefits of those vaccines has led to an overwhelming percentage of our residents being vaccinated. Additionally, the continued administration of COVID boosters, staff vaccinations, and the ongoing focus on infection prevention strategies have allowed us to move a bit closer to center and back to our area of comfort, and that's addressing the psychosocial needs as well as the physical needs of our residents. Visitors play a huge role in helping us do that. That's something we all know, right? But sadly, it doesn't mean that we can just throw our doors open and return to fully pre-pandemic practices. COVID continues to be a concern for our residents, and CMS is committed to helping us to address the needs of our residents while keeping everyone as safe as possible while this crisis plays itself out. In a fluid situation like we're in right now, CMS will continue to adapt the guidance to provide us with the evolving recommendations to support us in our mission to provide care that's safe both physically and psychosocially. Well, you know, that was a whole lot of words just to say that the guidance is being revised and clarified to help us get back to a more normal way of life.
0: Right. Thanks, Patty. Um, We just wrapped up another holiday season, as we all know, and during this time, nursing homes likely experienced higher than usual volume of visitors. How are nursing homes instructed to address these increased amount of visitors? And do you see this guidance continuing as we move farther into 2022?
1: Well, the holidays were certainly a lot closer to what we all think of as normal this year, but we still had to do what we do best and that's adapt, right? Guidance told us to limit large gatherings in which social distancing couldn't take place. And that was a challenge for some of us who are restricted already by the physical layout of our buildings, even in the best of times. In some cases, we needed to ask for visits to be staggered so that social distancing was more easily accommodated. Many of us turned the typical couple of days of increased visits into week-long Christmas events to accommodate even more visitors safely enhanced surveillance was needed to ensure that proper PPE was being used and that hand hygiene supplies were kept up with as demand increased. Some of the super creative ideas that emerged during the holidays this year, um, they were fun to talk to you guys about. My favorite was a facility that turned face masks into Christmas beards for young visitors to use. I thought that was a super innovative way to tackle a problem. And many of you had elves out and about monitoring for adherence to core principles of infection control. One even decided to give their elves jingle bells to jingle to remind visitors to wash their hands rather than to ask them to do that verbally. And that was maybe our biggest variable this holiday, the visitors themselves. It can be a much more difficult thing to maintain good infection control practices with visitors than it is your staff. But I think most of our families were just super glad that they were able to hug their mom this year and were more than happy to do their part and help us to keep everyone safe. And I do expect that these recommendations for large gatherings are here to stay for a while, but with warmer weather just around the corner, outdoor visitation is gonna make things like that social distancing a little bit easier to manage.
0: Right. Um, Are residents able to have close contact with their visitors during visits now? And are they able to visit without masks?
1: Yes, they sure are. Key thing here is to be sure that both your residents and their visitors are aware of the potential risks to close physical contact and to visiting without a mask. Masks do have to be worn in communal areas and close contact should try to be limited to private settings, but those hugs are welcome for residents and visitors alike.
0: I am sure that they are. (laughs) Um, What about nursing home residents who have roommates? What guidance has been given as far as how visits can occur in those
1: situations? Ideally, ideally. In-room visits would take place when the roommate's out of the room, and that can sometimes be difficult. However, if social distancing is possible within those rooms, exceptions can be made. When both roommates are present, that social distancing, mask use, and good hand hygiene should be stressed.
0: Okay. Um, Can visitors share a meal with or feed the resident that they're visiting? What's the guidance on that?
1: And here we come right back to our old standby for this question. As long as core infection control practices are followed and the risks are understood, this is permissible. Eating in a separate area is always preferred, but communal areas are okay as long as the visitor is physically distanced from other residents and that masks are worn unless they are eating or drinking.
0: Okay. What about guidance? Um, What what guidance is CMS giving nursing homes now about how they should be working with their state or local health departments when there is a COVID-19
1: outbreak? Well, the health department still must be notified in the following three circumstances. First, if you have one or more residents or staff members that are suspected or confirmed as being COVID-positive. Or if three or more residents or staff have an acute illness that's compatible with COVID within a 72-hour window, that too would need to be reported. And then finally, anytime a resident requires hospitalization or passes away with a severe respiratory infection, they again need to be made aware of that. The health department does hold the authority to require changes to our visitation practices. So... Anytime you're in question, better to make them aware of what's going on um, and seek their guidance.
0: Okay. If there's an outbreak investigation, are facilities instructed to pause communal activities and dining? What, what's the guidance on that now?
1: Well, it's interesting because outbreak investigations have kind of changed as we've moved through the pandemic. So, We're used to using contact tracing, and when we're using contact tracing and we find residents who are identified as potentially being in close contact to the positive individual, those residents should not participate in communal dining or activities. Those that have not been fully vaccinated and have had close contact with a COVID positive person should be placed into quarantine, even if they're testing negative a fully vaccinated resident, or someone who has been COVID positive in the last 90 days should not be restricted, but they should wear a mask when they leave their rooms. That contact tracing has become much more difficult as the variants have become so much more transmissible. So that's then been further complicated with the addition of visitors to our buildings. When that contact tracing isn't feasible, those who have not been fully vaccinated should be quarantined even if they have a negative test result. Those that are fully vaccinated or who have had COVID within in the last 90 days shouldn't be restricted to their rooms unless they test positive or develop symptoms. Okay.
0: Um, If a resident, and I I should clarify, a resident who is not on transmission-based precautions or in quarantine, if that resident is unable or unwilling to wear a mask, would he or she be allowed to attend communal dining and activities under this new
1: guidance? Oh, that's an interesting question, and a loaded one, Mitzi. Yes, social distancing should be maintained and education provided on core principles of infection prevention, But where it becomes a little bit more complicated are in cases that happen on our memory impaired units. On those units, things become a little bit more complicated. Those residents under the best of circumstances aren't able to remember the core principles um, of infection control, things like washing your hands. So on those units, it will be important that we limit the size of our group activities, that we assist with frequent hand hygiene, that we frequently clean those high touch surfaces. And there are many, many more high touch surfaces on those kinds of units. And then that we promote physical distancing as much as we're able to. This is one of um, our biggest challenges during non-pandemic times, right? So some of the really creative ideas that have come from this pandemic are based in those memory impaired units. We have seen facilities placing 3M hooks for masks near doorways to remind people as they're exiting their rooms to grab the mask. We've seen people taking pictures of residents wearing their masks and placing those pictures by the door as a visual cue. One facility even silk screened the residents picture onto the front of the mask so that they were able to identify their own mask. And sometimes something as simple as allowing residents to choose a brightly colored or different mask out of many different options can help them be more receptive to accepting the mask. Just like most things in this arena, individualization is key. And what works today may not work tomorrow. Adaptability within those core principles of infection control, that's always gonna be what wins the day. Right,
0: that makes a lot of sense. And those are some great ideas. Yeah, they're fun. Um, With the enhanced focus on vaccines and boosters lately, long term care providers may be wondering how they can arrange for an on site clinic to provide COVID 19 vaccines and boosters for staff and residents. What information can we offer that would be a good resource for this right now?
1: Well, in Pennsylvania, the RCAT program has now transitioned into the RISE program and they continue to offer assistance along with local pharmacies, state and local health departments continue to be a resource. And you can request vaccination support from a pharmacy enrolled in the federal retail pharmacy program. And kind of as a measure of last resort, the CDC is available as a resource if all of those entities are not able to provide the assistance you're requiring.
0: Um, We all know that the Omicron variant is spiking right now. So with these COVID-19 types of cases spiking with this variant, should facilities continue to permit visitation? Um, What are your thoughts on that? And and what has CMS said about that?
1: Yes, it seems counterintuitive, but although Omicron is a concern, so are the effects of isolation and separation of our residents from loved ones. This isolation can be traumatic and result in physical as well as psychosocial declines. We now know that the effort that we put into good infection control practices and our success with vaccine administration allow us to conduct visitation in a way that doesn't place other residents at an increased risk Facilities should contact their state or local health officials on a case-by-case basis if you have a specific concern, but generally speaking, visitation should continue.
0: Okay. Um, Why can residents choose to have visits even when COVID-19 cases are increasing? I think you might have mentioned this a little bit in the last question, but, you know, why is it so important that they can still have these visits?
1: Well, it's so interesting. We have been so, so focused on all things COVID and pandemic related that sometimes the regulations that we've had to adhere to for years, we forget that they're there. So our federal regulations have long told us that residents have the right to make choices about significant aspects of their life within the facility. And their right to receive visitors, as long as it does not infringe on the rights of others, is one of those choices. In this instance, as long as the visit doesn't increase the risk of COVID for other residents, the right to choose to have a visitor is absolutely present. Therefore, if a resident is aware of the risk of the visit and the visit is conducted in a manner that isn't going to increase the risk to others, and the visit has to be permitted.
0: Um, Patty, before we go, are there any suggestions for how to conduct visits that would reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission? So for example, what is CMS saying about whether facilities should have different policies for vaccinated and unvaccinated visitors?
1: Oh, well, this is kind of a little bit of a hot topic. So, We continue to encourage everyone to get vaccinated. However, visitation can occur regardless of vaccination status. Facilities may ask about vaccination status, but they can't require proof of that status prior to entry. Extra precautions can be taken by hosting outdoor visits when the weather permits, creating dedicated visitation spaces indoors, having in-room visits when the roommate's out of the room, and asking both the resident and the visitor to wear a well-fitting mask, perform frequent hand hygiene, and physically distance. Visitor movement should also be limited within the facility to the location of the visit and not occur in common areas except those that are designated for visits. Cleaning and sanitation of those visitation areas, as well as increasing ventilation and airflow, are also recommended. And as simple as it seems, signage promoting good infection control practices placed in high visibility areas can also serve to keep our residents safe. As always, vigilance is the key.
0: All right. Um, well, Patty, I just want to thank you for taking the time to provide your insight for us today. Do you have anything else that you would kind
1: of like to, to let everyone know about? You know what? I do want to take this just a minute, Mitzi. Thank you so much. And I wanted to thank each and every one of you for your dedication during this last year and a half. The challenges that you've overcome and the terrain that you have walked through are unprecedented. And this sounds so dramatic, but I shudder to think where we would be as a society without people like each of you willing to give it all every day. And I'm amazed by what you've accomplished and wish each of you nothing but success in the coming months. I have no doubt that we as the long-term care community will continue to use our ingenuity and our resourcefulness to rise to each new challenge, just as we always have. So thanks so much for spending just a couple of minutes with me today. And again, thank you, Mitzi, for your guidance.
0: All right. Thank you, Patty. And if you want to reach out to Patty directly, you can call Quality Insights at 1-800-642-8686 and enter extension 7633. And you can also contact Patty via email at p a-u-s-t-i-n at qualityinsights.org. And lastly, I just want to say thank you to everyone who could join us today. You can check out our other interviews that we've done by visiting our website at www.qualityinsights.org forward slash qin underscore vlogs and
1: pods.